Hello and welcome to Weathersnap. It's Friday the 4th of November. I'm Claire Nazir with your weekly weather headlines. Last month saw unseasonably high heat across many parts of Europe, with France having its warmest October on record. Temperatures were three or four degrees above normal levels. In Spain, temperatures were universally higher, with the coastal cities of Barcelona, Valencia and Malaga seeing values up in the high 20s. Even warmer for the southern cities of Seville and Granada. During the middle part of October, temperatures peaked at 32 degrees Celsius. And here in the UK, we've also seen some exceptionally mild days and balmy nights. This is in part due to the predominance of southerly and southwesterly winds, bringing up warm and moist air from the Canaries and northwest Africa. So exactly how unusual is this? Earlier, I spoke to Met Office climate statistician Dr Mark McCarthy. For the UK overall, it's been the seventh warmest October on record. Uh, and this is in our series that stretches back to 1884. Um, so definitely a very notable warm October, the warmest since 2006. In fact, in half of the top 10 warmest Octobers have all occurred since the year 2000 in our long climate record. And this is a consequence of our changing climate and the warming of our climate, meaning that these higher temperatures are more likely. I think something which was notable about last month was the fact that it wasn't cold at night. I mean, I'm, I'm sure there were a few cold nights, but certainly it felt quite balmy. It felt almost like the end of summer rather than mid-autumn. Am I correct there? We did have one slightly cool snap in the second week of the month. But after that, we were very much in a southwesterly flow and it was drawing warm but humid air from Europe and the Atlantic. And this sort of resulted in that kind of feeling of unusually warm. There was an absence of frost that we might be starting to experience at this time of year. So certainly for late October, we saw some very unusual warmth. We even got to um, 22.9 degrees recorded at Kew Gardens on the 29th of October. So although not record-breaking, it was unusually warm for the time of year. What we've experienced in the UK uh, can be seen in the context of a wider picture. There have been some very notable and at times extreme temperatures for this time of year across Europe more widely. Um, so as part of that larger picture, the, the, the warmth that we have experienced in the UK in October is part of a, a pattern that we've seen across the continent of Europe as well. We're into the final third of autumn. And it's shaping up to be generally very mild. So where do you think we're sitting right now in terms of the season? So, yes, September and October have both been very mild months. Um, so if November also saw uh, temperatures being higher than normal for the time of year, then we could expect it to be, again, a notably warm autumn overall. Um, but perhaps what's uh, arguably more notable is the fact that every month, so far this year has been above its normal uh, or, or average temperature. Uh, so we have seen these persistently high temperatures throughout the year, uh, most dramatically during the heat wave in the summer. But actually, that has been from um, January onwards. During the summer months, we were talking about the risk of drought and certainly some very dry months that extended into September. How did October shape up? Uh, well, for the UK overall, October was 
fairly close to average for rainfall, and this is climatologically one of the wetter months of the year. Um, however, that still isn't necessarily enough to have offset the uh, sort of accumulated deficit of rainfall that we've seen through the year. So for this point in the year, uh, we are still well below the sort of total accumulated rainfall we would expect uh, to have observed by this point in the year. Um, so some parts of the country, for example, while we only have two months left in the year, they've still only received about half of their normal annual rainfall uh, with only two months of the year remaining. Dr Mark McCarthy. November has so far brought wind and rain and now autumn feels well and truly underway. And with it come the potential impacts of poor weather, particularly in relation to transport. Whether it's icy roads or fog, most of us are likely to experience some form of road or rail delay in coming months. One of the many services provided by the Met Office is bespoke rail and road forecasts. With technology improving all the time and the advent of things such as autonomous vehicles, the Met Office transport systems are undergoing a substantial upgrade. To explain the challenges of transport forecasting, here's surface transport research scientist Joe Isles. One of them is a challenge where we want to improve our winter forecasts. At the moment we deliver a deterministic forecast, that's one forecast predicting the state of the road. So is it going to be icy, is it going to be snowy, or is it just going to be dry and, and fine to drive on? But we'd like to move to a probabilistic forecast. That's where we would deliver a probability of a given event. So the probability that the road's going to be icy. Um, and the second one is to look to the future. So things like the extreme temperatures in the summer, there was an issue where roads kind of started to melt a little bit. So that, that's something we could certainly look to forecast. And looking to the future, things like self-driving cars, the sensors on them are very impacted by things like road spray. So being able to forecast that is really important. So when I was a forecaster in the field, I worked on the open road system uh, yeah. where you were looking at temperatures pretty much dipping below freezing and the risks and the impacts from ice. Is that more sophisticated now? Will it be more sophisticated than just looking at one line of a temperature curve in a site specific area? The thing we're most interested in is the road temperature dipping below zero. Um, but you need to know on top of that, is the road wet? Because, I mean, if it dips below zero, but there's no water and no risk of water going on the road, then you're not really going to encounter those icy conditions that are dangerous. So, yeah, there's a, there's a bit more sophistication there. And it's funny, when you talk about site-specific, the current system forecasts for a big kind of predetermined block of sites that are scattered throughout the country based on you know needs of different customers and so on and that will still exist in the new system but we're hoping to introduce things like apis so that something like for example a self-driving car could just query the api and get a forecast for the road wherever it wants when you say api what does that stand for sorry yeah application programming interface so it's fundamentally just a way of letting a machine so like a car for example just ask the Met Office for some data and the Met Office return it. And that would all happen just automatically. So um, a self-driving car or even cars programmed with this type of capability yeah. when they're in motion and they are going to experience or the driver is going to experience some bad weather, 
that information then can be um, ingested into the car computer and driving status can therefore be adapted. Is that correct? Yeah. So you could imagine a self-driving car, perhaps at the start of its journey, it would query along the route it's going to take and ask, are the road conditions going to be safe for me to drive? And there'll be a certain range that the car is okay to drive in. So it might be that it's okay with a small amount of ice, maybe a little bit of water on the road, but perhaps if there's lots of water on the road and lots of spray, then the car knows that it can't self-drive within that domain. So then it might, you know, it might alert the, the human driver and say, okay, I can't drive here, but, you know, it's still safe for a human to do it. Tell us about the rails, because actually that's a big bugbear of mine at the moment. <laughs> so again similar to the roads there's like two aspects to this so again we're looking at our winter or kind of autumnal forecast where really it's the things like the rail adhesion so how slippery the rail is that's important which actually mostly depends on how many leaves have fallen on the rails have they decomposed and is the rail a little bit wet because if it's just a little bit wet that's when it's most slippery um, so we should hopefully be able to deliver that. Um, but the second side of it is that as our summers potentially get hotter, rail buckling, so when the rail gets too hot, expands and then can't fit on the line, so it buckles, that could become more common. So being able to forecast those real high temperatures is important. So, yeah, with things like the changing climate and changes in technology and perhaps changes in the way people use transport, it really is important that we build this new system. Joe Isles. So how will the next few days of autumn look like weather-wise? Here with the outlook, Ada McGiven. Following a fine Friday for many, the weather remains changeable as we head into the weekend, further spells of rain or showers along with a keen breeze. But at least Saturday starts off dry in the east with a touch of frost in one or two spots. Whilst the rain and the wind is already in the west, that of course will mean it's going to be a milder start to the day for Northern Ireland, the parts of Wales and the southwest. That rain and wind moves through Irish Sea coasts and the wind could just about approach gale force around exposed coasts of western Scotland and Irish sea coastal areas. And the rain will be heavy for a time during Saturday morning as well. But the rain, wind and cloud all pushes east during Saturday. And by the end of the afternoon, it's predominantly across much of England, Wales and eastern Scotland. The rain by this stage fizzling out a little, so it's on and off. It's mostly light outbreaks of rain. Whilst western Scotland and Northern Ireland and perhaps parts of West Wales as well brighten up by the afternoon. Temperatures at around 11 to 14 Celsius across the UK, a little higher compared with Friday, but of course with the breeze and with those outbreaks of rain not feeling all too pleasant. Now those outbreaks of rain, although having eased off for a time during Saturday, may pep up as it pushes into southeastern areas on Saturday night. Could be some heavy rain for a time during the early hours of Sunday in the southeast and that could cause some issues on top of what we've already seen at times during the week. And the rain could be slow to clear on Sunday. It all depends on how it interacts with the jet stream, which, of course, is really dominating our weather at the moment. Either way, that rain eventually moves out of the way from the southeast during Sunday morning and further showers follow from the west. Those showers are going to be heavy. They're going to be frequent. They're going to predominantly affect western parts of the UK and could merge together to form longer spells of rain into Wales and the southwest by the end of Sunday as well along with a freshening breeze. 
So unsettled conditions through the weekend, but one thing that will be happening throughout is that temperatures will be slowly rising. And that means we'll eventually lose those overnight frosts. We'll also see temperatures back up into the mid-teens by the end of the weekend. And that rising temperature trend continues into next week. The reason for that is because low pressure in the Atlantic will slightly change position compared with the last week or so and allow milder southwesterlies to dominate through next week. But those milder southwesterlies will continue to throw bands of rain, showers and occasional strong winds towards the UK from the West. Thanks, Aidan. It's been a whole year since I was at the International Climate Conference, COP26, in Glasgow. This weekend sees the start of the 27th Conference of the Parties, which will be held in Sharm el-Sheikh, Egypt. There are more than 45,000 registered COP27 participants, representing countries, the United Nations, and regional organisations, businesses, scientists, as well as indigenous and local communities. The goal of the event, to enhance and accelerate climate action and follow up on the commitments and pledges made by governments at COP26. To find out some of this year's talking points, I spoke to Met Office climate correspondent, Graham Madge. Let's first of all talk about 1.5 degrees because that will be a key talking point what does it mean when we talk about 1.5 Celsius? What does that actually mean in terms of climate change? The main talking point at this COP, following on from Glasgow, will be the discussion around 1.5. And what 1.5 means is the threshold above temperatures that were recorded in pre-industrial levels. We have temperature records going back to the 1850s, 1900s. When you look at the average of that, what 1.5 means is 1.5 degrees above the level of temperatures that we were experiencing in the pre-industrial era. At the moment, there is an aspiration still that if there's enough effort that the globe can stay under that 1.5 threshold, but it seems likely that even if all of the ambition that was met last year in Glasgow with the Glasgow Pact is fulfilled, our science is telling us that that's still not enough in all likelihood to stay below that 1.5 threshold. Talk about overshoots because what we're looking at is um, going beyond 1.5 and then hopefully then allowing that temperature to, to decline, that global temperature, as we curb our emissions. That's exactly right, Claire. We need to consider overshoot, and that will be something that people who follow the climate negotiations in Sharm el-Sheikh will be hearing time and time again, I suspect, this concept of overshoot. And what that means is that you, the global temperature would be allowed to exceed 1.5 above that pre-industrial level and possibly go up to 1.7, 1.8. But then there's a hope that we can bend that curve downwards towards 2100 so that by the end of the century, we meet 1.5 on the way down. Now, that has certain uh, topics around it which need a lot of consideration. First and foremost is at this moment in time, there isn't the global technology at scale that's proven that can actually deliver this. So we would need to, as humanity, work out what the best way of doing this is when we've gone above 1.5 
in order to get us back down. And secondly, we are going to see for every increment that we go uh, increase the global temperature, there will be increased pressure on things like uh, the Arctic uh, glaciers. Um, that will cause sea level rise to go. We've covered this and we've talked about this many times, Claire, but these are important factors. It's important, isn't it, that this year's COP is actually in Africa, considering the extremes that we've witnessed just in the last 12 months, namely in particular the, uh, the drought across East Africa, too much rain elsewhere. Well, perhaps it's a cliche to say that Africa as a continent is on the front line of climate change, but that is absolutely the sentiment. Communities, particularly in sub-Saharan Africa, um, need to become more resilient to climate change. We know that temperatures have risen uh, above pre-industrial levels. Inevitably, they will continue to rise. And what that means is more extreme weather events. Um, and as you say, there's been um, huge disruption to the climate in Africa with prolonged droughts and heavy rainfalls. So all of those are factors that communities in Africa are having to deal with on a day-to-day -day basis. But also what we need to see is, along with efforts to try and reduce the amount of emissions that we're putting into the atmosphere, we actually need to see more in the way of adaptation. We know that we've got climate change already and we know that that's going to increase. So what we need to do in Africa, as well as Europe, the UK, of course, and elsewhere, is make our society as resilient as possible to the climate change that the Met Office science and other scientists around the world are telling us is going to come. According to the presidential vision statement issued uh, for COP27, it's all about moving from negotiations and planning for implementation. It's all about moving from negotiations to something which is far more timely, inclusive and at scale action on the ground. And this includes issues such as loss and damage, particularly from countries who are really feeling the impacts of climate change now. It's all about money, isn't it, Graham? Well, it is. I mean, there's um, impacts of climate change are being felt all around the world. And what the loss and damage agenda will try to seek to do is to find ways of um, compensating communities for the impacts that have been imposed upon them. Um, let's not forget that many of the parts of the world where they're suffering the greatest impacts are the areas where those countries have perhaps released the fewest emissions. Um, so we have a long history in the West of releasing greenhouse gases from the Industrial Revolution onward. Many other countries won't necessarily have had that legacy of, of developing their economies to get to the same scale of emissions that we produce in the West. And there will be an increasing agenda looking at how communities in the developing world um, can actually be compensated or uh, financially reimbursed for the damages and, and losses that they will suffer as a result of climate change. Graham Madge and the Met Office will be providing blogs and commentary of the COP26 event over the next few weeks. To find out more, head to the Met Office website, metoffice.gov.uk. Just before we go, here's Ollie Claydon with last week's highs and lows. Here are last week's extremes for the UK. The warmest day was last Saturday, the 29th of October, 
when an unusually high temperature of 22.9 Celsius was recorded at Kew Gardens in London. The coldest place was in Catesbridge, County Down, where during the early hours of Monday morning, a low of 3.6 Celsius was measured. A wet day on Friday the 28th produced a rainfall peak of 42.6 millimetres in the South US range in the Western Isles. Finally, the sunniest location was in Shoebrunes in Essex, where on Monday, 8.9 hours of sunshine was recorded. Thanks, Ollie. That's it for Weathersnap. I'm Claire Nazir. Thanks for listening. Weathersnap is a podcast by the UK Met Office. For the latest weather conditions where you are, download the Met Office weather app.